This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress. The 2020 Sydney Autumn Carnival will reach its zenith with the Star Championships at Royal Randwick over two exciting days, April 4 and April 11. A total of $20 million in prize money will be distributed with eight Group 1 races programmed. April 4, the Star Doncaster, the TJ Smith, the Australian Derby and the English Sires Produce. Co-feature will be the New Haven Park Country Championship Final. Saturday 11 features the Longines Queen Elizabeth Stakes, the Swept Sydney Cup, the Australian Oaks and the Coolmore Legacy Stakes. Co-feature event is the Polytrack Provincial Championship Final. The Championships, April 4 and April 11, the Grand Finals of Australian Racing. By the time this podcast is posted, Jim Byrne should be back riding work after a very frustrating period of rehabilitation following a bizarre accident at Doombin last December. You'll recall the incident when the four runners in a two-year-old race went past the post and the leading horse Rathlin shied suddenly, dislodging jockey Luke Curry. The other three green two-year-olds also shied, with two of them losing their riders, namely Jimmy Byrne and Larry Cassidy. Cassidy and Curry were uninjured, but Jim had landed badly, fracturing the tibia in his right leg. Resultant surgery saw the insertion of a plate and more time on the sidelines for a champion jockey who this time last year required surgery for a nasty shoulder issue which sidelined him for four and a half months. Just when Jim was about to resume riding track work, he suddenly developed a staph infection in the bursa of his right elbow, which was the result of broken skin caused by the constant friction of his crutches. To his dismay, he had to undergo another procedure to have the wound treated and the infection brought under control. This setback has sorely tested the patience of this very dedicated and very enthusiastic jockey, but that frustration will disappear, I'm sure, the moment he hears the drumming of hooves ringing in his ears again. Jim Burns, online to talk to us on the podcast. Thanks for your time, Jimbo. That was a long introduction, John. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it doesn't actually, uh, um, you know, whilst I was able to get back from the shoulder injury, it doesn't. you don't realise how actually long you stay out and the, the, the ramifications of injuries, you know, the, the hard yards you've got to do to actually get back. And yeah. obviously I'm experiencing it now, so it's... Uh, mm. Uh, it's, yeah, it's been it's been 2019. I'm very very glad to, to get it behind me. Mm. You couldn't believe this could happen—a golden staff infection in the bursa of the elbow. That was the last straw for you. You 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 were ready to scream from the nearest mountain top. Correct. Yeah. So I I, I basically just got off the crutches, um, and I I just uh, well I hadn't actually been allowed to get off the crutches, but. Um, the bursa was getting real aggravated and my elbow, uh, I didn't actually understand what was going on with it. And I, I said to my wife, I said, my elbow is just so, so sore. I, I can't, you can't even just touch it. Mm. And um, she looked at it and she said, oh, I'm going to have to go to the doctor. 
and we ended up subsequently calling out the house doctor and he said, oh, you got beside us or something at the elbow. Mm. And so he put me on these uh, uh, steroid tablets for uh, four or five days or whatever it was and mm. it just wasn't getting any better. So subsequently I went to my doctor and um, I was only using one crutch because I just couldn't, the other crutch I couldn't even put any pressure on the arm sort of scenario. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, subsequently she, she took a, uh, she took, took samples out of it. So she put a needle right into the, into the bursa and mm. started sucking all this juice out of it. Yeah. Basically it doesn't sound real good, but um, yeah, they, she sent that away, uh, to get tested and it come back with that there was a staph infection in the, in the arm and, it was just from there on. It was like, okay, well, you got to go get that operated on. And, mm. um, they they put me on a course of really strong antibiotics for eight days, and yes. it just got to where it was um, got an abscess in the in the, in, in the bursa, and it was bad thereafter. And it was just there was no other option. You had to have have a vasectomy or, mm. or a, a bursa, bursa uh, operation where they remove the bursa and flush out the mm. the elbow. So it was. It's been a long, it's been a long trip. This one. Did you say vasectomy? Oh well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking uh, where they removed the bursa, but it doesn't actually sound. It sounds more like a vasectomy, but it's uh, a vasectomy. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I think you, you give that one a miss. <laughs> yes, correct. <laughs> I don't need it anymore, <laughs> <laughs> now, Jimmy. By the time our chat is on the website. You'll have another problem, saddle soreness. I would hope so. I would hope so. I mean, like, it's it's one of those, uh, you know. I mean, like when you're in the when you're in the in the full full run of actually going to the races and you're racing four days a week and and, and you got track work for you know two to three days a week, uh, you get a little bit you know weary with it and and, and whatnot. But the moment that is removed from you. Uh, and you can do nothing but sit down and, and uh, do nothing. Uh, I have uh, other things that I try to do, um, and all of a sudden, all that's taken away from you. It's it's, it's extremely difficult. And, mm. You know, I'm quite highly strung, so I need to I need to work, and uh, my wife needs me to work. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> not, not, not for financial reasons, but more. No, of course. More, I mean, more because you're you're like a bear with a sore head. Yeah, I just I'm like I'm 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 the worst with injuries. So it's um, every every I'm, every jockey does it. I mean, like they're they're all the same. Mm. Um, we're all bred with the same uh, sort of stuffiness where we just need to work. We need to yeah. we need that to compete. So um, whether it be with injuries or whatnot, everyone kind of goes through any jockey. Has has to go through those sort of those sort of spates in your in your in your career. I've been quite fortunate where um, my last serious injury prior to 2019 was mm. 14 years prior. So yeah. um, yeah, I've been I've been very very fortunate. Mm. You've had your share of falls, as you say, but never one like this, Jim. This was bizarre to say the least. Four horses yeah. had passed the post. Next thing, you're on the ground. Now, did your yeah, horse Kavak shy when the lead horse shied? Quite often, horses will uh, duplicate what the horse in front of them or next to them is doing. Yeah, it, it, I actually, I actually initially, um, uh, the moment we got over, if you recall, the old crossing, uh, the 
the crossing at Doombin. Mm. Uh, I noticed the pony coming back towards us, and I thought, oh, geez, that's a bit, you know, I mean, like, I know it's a small field, but it's mm. not something that generally happens. Like um, the cautious and, pony. Correct, yes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sure enough, um, Rutland shied, and um, all of a sudden, my horse has got a spook from the inside, and mm. I just thought it followed the pony, uh, followed Rutland, but... Mm. Uh, yeah, subsequently there was a gator coming back towards us at the same time. So mm. it was, uh, yeah, it was something that shouldn't have happened, uh, but it did, you know, and, and I've just got to kind of move forward and, and, and get back as, you know, get back my fitness, get back get back to what, what, what I love doing. Mm. You know, in the few months you'd been back since that shoulder surgery last year, you were on a roll. The winners were flowing. In fact, at the time of this accident, you were leading the Brisbane Jockeys Premiership by seven wins. Yeah, yeah, and probably that, well, that's what makes it even more frustrating because of course, yeah. whilst, um, I've, and I've said it time and time and time again, uh, Premierships, when I lost, they're great. You can't eat them. Mm. Uh, they're, they're, they're fantastic to win and it looks fantastic on your resume, but I've never really paid too much attention to it because I the season is so long. You, you go through so many ups and downs, and um, if you if you live on every single winner, like literally, just just focus on the premiership per se, or, or, or something like that, you get stale by the end of the year, and you start riding bad, you start making the wrong decisions, um, and you know it's just one of those things I've never really paid too much attention to, and and uh, subsequently, as soon as I fell. Um, I, sure enough, I did have a look at it because I had to. I had nothing else to do other than sit yeah. down in the vet. So, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I'm young Bailey Needolf. He's he's having a great season. Um, you know, and uh, it was taking them a while to pick me up, but now they obviously surpassed me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just makes you even more determined to get back. So, yeah, uh, it's just one of those things. I you know, you don't realise until it's taken away what it really means to you. So, no, no. I think. Uh, no, this one's a little bit better. You know, the worst part of an injury layoff for a jockey is to watch horses winning that you would have been on. Now, here's yeah. a good example. You'd won three races on Outback Barbie for Tony Gollan, and you certainly would have been on her in the Magic Millions quality back in January. She won that race with James McDonald up, and you probably kicked the lounge with your good leg. <laughs> well, I was actually... Um um, this was a bittersweet because uh, she's a horse that I've had a, a, uh, an association with throughout her whole career. Um, I, I help educate her, uh, put her through the uh, jump out early two-year-old trials, um, and had a had a long association with her. And um, they took uh, James actually rode her in the in the three-year-old guineas uh, the year before, yeah. uh, where she just got beat, and I I was on a I was going to be on a uh, this time in that in that quality race at at, at the coast. So whilst um, it was pretty hard to watch, I was so I was so wrapped for the owners and so wrapped for the horse because she's a horse that I, as I said, I've had such a long association with that you want you you want to, the horse deserved to be a million dollar mare sort of scenario. Yes, um, that's you know that was just. It was very, very satisfying to know that you weren't wrong, that she was as good as what you thought she could be. And, yeah. um, you, know, I, you know, it was pretty difficult to watch, but pleasing 
at the, at, at the same time. You yeah, know, that, you know, that your opinion sort of. had been vindicated. Yeah, correct, correct. Mm. Um, I, I remember I remember mentioning to Tony that um, early on that uh, in the when she was a two year old that she was a better horse than than Tony's other horse that he he actually was nearly started favourite and the magic means like um, zoo style. I, I, I'm, uh, not zoo style. Uh, can't even remember the horse's name now, unfortunately. Mm. But uh, Maddie McGillwaite rode it, and I yeah. remember saying to Tony, "Oh, she's a better horse than him." Mm. Uh, and you know, she beat him home that day in the, in the Magic Millions. But mm. um, you know, they always had a pretty big opinion of him. But whereas I thought that she just had a lot, so much more depth in her, and and, and uh, mm. you could do a lot more things with her. You could start her up, you could back her down, and yeah, um, you know, she was just one of those. Right horses, and now uh, I'm just so glad that she won. I mm. just wish I would have been on board. <laughs> of course you do. You won two races at Eagle Farm late last year on Rothfire for Rob Heathcote, a very promising horse. He resumed from a spell recently, and he won another one at Eagle Farm with Robbie Frad on board. And obviously, the lounge chair copped another kick. <laughs> yeah, well, funny enough, I I actually. Uh, I seen him in the in, in the uh, as you said I, I, I rode him his first two wins and uh, prior to that I, I'd actually watching the two year old trials and we were trying to pick out two year olds going into in, in, into the season what horses were nice and I just remember seeing young Aidan Thompson ride him and I thought geez this is a nice horse and I called up Rob Heathcote and asked him if I could trial him and mm. I subsequently trialed him and I got off him straight away. Rob, I want to ride this horse, and mm. I was honestly driving home from digging digging trials. Mm. I give Rob a call, and I said I really want to ride this horse on the weekend. And mm. he subsequently come out and he won on the weekend. Mm. And he's just a real impressive horse. Uh, there was a lot of uh, drama going on the first start, and where uh, where they brought us into the enclosure, and actually. Took us. Um, there was some some drama. I, I think young Tay Williams may have got injured or something. Mm. Uh, horse got a fight, so they took us back out. They took the horses back out the yard. Um, they brought us in three times uh, prior to going around to the barriers. Mm. So two year olds get pretty heated and, 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 and upset. Whereas this horse, he never it, it never phased him at all. He's just a pure professional racehorse, and yeah. um, you know his next win. Was really strong. I thought. I thought it was a really good effort, and um, he's he's probably the best two I've ridden this season. So I've got a big opinion of him. And I went out and I watched his trial prior to him winning last start, and uh, yeah, he's just he's he looks better again. So um, he's a he's a very impressive horse. Rothfire, and I'm sure our regular listeners will jot his name down straight away. He could be a potential group winner later on. Now let's go back early in your life. To school days, when you yep. were advised by one of your teachers to consider a career as a jockey, what sort of a judge was that teacher? Yeah, he done all right. Actually, <laughs> um, oh, I wish I could remember his name, but early on in my early on in my schooling, I mean, I, it was something that I always wanted to do. My father actually um, took me to Eagle Farm when I was very very young. Mm. We used to live at New Farm, and uh, he took us. He took me to Eagle Farm, and we had a bit of a bit of a look around. And just fleetingly said, "Oh, I'm going to do that one day. I'm going to be. I'm, I'm going to do that one day." And, really? Um, yeah. Not really. I mean, like just young kids. Uh, you know, wanted to be a policeman as well, or whatever they be. Mm. 
but it was just something that I was really uh, enthusiastic about. I, I, I really loved my football, and uh, that was never gonna that was never gonna come to pass. I'm like, I'm too small for that. And mm. uh, Dad just kept saying, "Oh, you, you told me you were going to be a jockey, and um, come into school where you where you do the uh, work work experience and." Mm. Um, Teacher, uh, there was nothing that interests me. Uh, I, was, I wasn't going to be a carpenter mm. or, or anything like that. Um, he just said, "I'll, I'll try and I'll try and get you an apprenticeship mm. where you can go do a workplace apprenticeship." And that's that's what he did. He actually was able to for, um, get the school to actually allow me to do a, a uh, work experience at, at, a, at a racing stable, which was Pat Duff's, mm. and. He in turn offered me a job more or less straight away, and back then you were able to, uh, you had to actually go in pretty early. I mean, it was very rare that you seen mature aged apprentices. Mm. Uh, so, uh, as I said, I wasn't real happy being at school. I played a lot of sport, and that was more to get out of the schoolwork rather than uh, <laughs> the love of the sport. Yeah. Um, and I ended up. Uh, Ended up leaving basically straight after work experience and mm. went straight into Pat Duff's stable. Yeah. And, you know, things went, things went from there. Gee, that was a stroke of luck, Jim, wasn't it? Pat's it was, a, yeah. a very good trainer. He's been a terrific tutor of apprentices, much in the mould of Theo Green. Mm. And he had a couple of apprentices that went on to much bigger things, didn't he? Apart from yourself, of course. Well, he also had, I think, Mick Dittman for a little bit there. Yeah, Dittman uh, was there. You know, yeah, so, um, I mean, like, he's. But Pat, Pat was one of those people, one of those uh, bosses that, um, you know, he, he expected you to do the yard, uh, the, the hard work, but mm. he also, his, his wife, Diana, I've got to say, she, you know, she's seen how determined I was to, to, to be a jockey and mm. she spent so much time on me, uh, teaching me my balance and, you know, to, to, to ride with your heels, uh, turn horses with their in their shoulders sort of mm. scenario, coming from no background with horses at all. But she basically, very early on, she, you know, she put me on the pony and really pushed. Uh, and, and, you know, she was, a, she was a, a pretty determined woman herself. So mm. um, I know that every time I rode a winner, you know, I, I, see, I seen her and, uh, you know, she always had that huge yeah. smile. Um, yeah, she was very, very proud of. Well, I know she was. Yeah, an inspirational lady. Your first winner, Jim, came in 1990 at Bow Desert. Uh, not sure of the name of the horse. Was it Malta Mayo? That's correct. Yeah, Malta Mayo. Yep. Um, it took me a while, actually, John. I um, I went up to. Uh, uh, I've been riding for about a month, and and my first ride was. Uh, way up the sticks, and, and I, I had no luck there. And mm. uh, everyone else was getting plenty of winners uh, very early on in their careers. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm maybe no good. I just don't know what no. I'm doing, probably. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, it took me about a month, a month and a half. And then Malta Mayo was able to win on, on a horse called Malta Mayo mm. at Bodez, and things just started to get a roll on from there. And you know, I, I thought. Riding a gimpy and, and, and picking up premierships at gimpy were was something that was going to be um, pretty good, and uh, I thought, you know, I've made it. Yeah, being a gimpy. So. Yeah, yeah, that's where Glenn Boss pleased. started. Glenn Boss rode his first winner at gimpy too. There's something about that place. Yeah, well, it was uh, 
very much on speed. You had to be very, very uh, determined out of the barriers, mm. be very uh, aggressive. Mm. And the horses don't really like to kick back in their faces sort of scenario. So no, no. you tend to give them the best kind of run that you could possibly give them with, stay mm. right up on their heels and make sure the kickback didn't get in their face sort of thing. So mm-hmm. uh, I used to enjoy riding a gimpy. Yep. Noel Doyle was the trainer to give you your first Saturday winner in the city on a horse called White Hope. That was in 1990 at Doombin and a very important win for young Jimmy Byrne. But there was another race, I think, Jim, that really got you on your way. It was a Group 3, the Lightning Handicap at Eagle Farm in 1994. You'd been poking along uh, comfortably riding plenty of winners here and there, but you just needed a race, a black type race, to put your name up in lights, and this was the one. The trainer was Frank Cleary, lovely little mare called Peggy Ann, who carried the Clan O'Sullivan colours. You rode her quietly, and you got the money. Yeah, funny enough, um, I chased pretty hard for that ride too. Back then, we never had managers, and... Um, Frank, he, he was he was such a nice guy. He he, uh, uh, he gave me that opportunity to, to, to give me that opportunity whilst I was having success uh, riding winners here and there. But obviously, uh, you got blokes like Brian York and Chris Munson and, and, and Glenn Boss riding up here, Mick Dittman, mm, Mick yeah. Telling, uh, these sort of guys. And um, you know, I think it, I, I think it may have had fifty one or something like that. I I don't mm. really recall, but as as we well know, Glenn Boss gets down to that pretty easy. Yeah. Uh, she wasn't. She wasn't a long price, if I can recall correct. Uh, she was. Mm. She was pretty good in the market. So, um, you know, for him to give me that opportunity, it was. Uh, it was huge. It was huge for me. And, Meant a um, lot to you. Know, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It was. It was definitely one of those. One of those uh, things that it, it's just changed the way I. I looked at uh, races. I mean, like it wasn't about you know, everyday race anymore. It was about those bigger races, those better races, those black types and. Um, thereafter, you know, definitely in Brisbane, you chased them as hard as you could. All those feature races on 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 the card, you, you're really focused on them. So mm. uh, probably that's you know it really put set the fire burning. It wasn't just about going to the races anymore and mm. making a wage. It was about you know making a name for yourself more more yeah. more to think. Jim, we'll just pause for a moment to clear a commitment on the podcast. We'll be back with you in a moment to talk about your all-time favourite horse. The 2020 English Australian Easter Yearling Sale will offer 514 yearlings of the highest quality. The sale features siblings to 181 stakes winners, including 52 Group 1 winners, as well as the progeny of 170 stakes winning mares. 58 high profile stallions will be represented. Those with the largest consignments are Schnitzel, I Am Invincible, Capitalist, American Pharaoh, Not A Single Doubt, Fastnet Rock, Sebring, and Exceed and Excel. The progeny of 15 first season sires will go under the hammer. The 2020 English Australian Easter Yearling Sale will be conducted over two days, Tuesday, April 7, Wednesday, April 8, at the world-class Riverside Stables Complex at Warwick Farm. Selling will commence on both days at 10 a.m. It's a stunning catalogue. A very important horse in the Jim Byrne scrapbook is Adam, who finished racing in 2001 with a record of 12 wins and 17 placings for almost $2 million in prize money. 
Your very first ride on him was in the 1999 Doomben 10,000 and how close you went. You ran second, a short head behind Laurie's lottery, and you bunged in a protest. <laughs> I've, I've, I think I've told you previously, probably the jockey I admire the most throughout my career uh, has always been someone that, someone that moulds you through your career. It was Michael Pelling, and um, he, yeah, he actually beat me on Laurie's lottery, and uh, he was so, he, going down the straight, and I still, to this day, think the stewards got it wrong, but yeah. Uh, he was just on top of me all the way down the straight. And prior to that, I'd already prior to we got to the to the furlong, I'd had, actually had my whip out and, and just started to urge the horse along. Whilst I wasn't um, wailing away on him or anything like that, I was still I still had my whip out and started to ride the horse along. And mm-hmm. Michael Pelling, the rider he was, he come over and crowded me and continued to crowd me and bumped me all the way to the line, and mm-hmm. he beat me by a nose. All the way trotting back, I was gutted. I was gutted that I got beat, but <laughs> in the back of my mind, I'm thinking to myself, oh, that's okay, I'll win it on protest. <laughs> I went into the stewards' room, probably cocky as buggery and, 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 and thinking <laughs> that it was going to be just you know a formality. They were just going to uh, agree with me mm. and to find out that they dismissed the protest and I was just, uh, I was just so deflated, so deflated, but... Subsequently, we come out, and um, uh, I think had he have won that race, mm. he probably doesn't come out because he gets re-handicapped and jumps yes. out, and he doesn't win the Stradbroke. So, uh, you know, I was able to win Queensland's biggest race because I got beaten that race. I think. Yeah, exactly, and that's the way you've got to look at it. He <coughs> ran again in between the ten thousand and the Stradbroke. He ran second uh, in the BTC Sprint. And then to the big one, the Stradbroke, the race that all Queensland jockeys want to win. And at last, the monkey was off your back, a group one. Hey, what an open race it must have been, Jim. He was favourite, Adam, at $6.50. Yeah, I don't recall exactly uh, the horses or the field per se, uh, but his horse, uh, the, the horses going into it were, were some pretty decent horses and um, you know, I, to the calibre that the Stradbroke is nowadays, I don't know. Mm. Um, but, you know, he, he was just such a strong little horse. He could put himself on speed um, and he was just difficult to get past. He, he was, uh, um, the horse of Kay Tinsley's uh, had 49 kilos. I can't even recall. Yeah, uh, uh, City Fair. Was. City Fair. It had 49 kilos or something and, and uh, mm. he ended up leading City Fair and, and I sat off him and, I thought we got reasonable sections early on, and at the top of the straight, I thought, oh, he's got it too soft. He's got a light weight. Mm. I also had a light weight, but um, I think it was 53 maybe, uh, but he, yeah. so he had four kilos on me. I thought, I'd better press him a bit early, mm. and, I, and it took me forever to get past him, but I'm just so glad I did press yeah. him early because if I hadn't have, mm. uh, he probably wins. And, he and, scrapes um, in, yeah. Dale Spriggs, I think, rode him, didn't he? Dale Spriggs. I think he did. He uh, could ride light, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, and, and it was so hard to get past him. I think I only got past him probably the last 50-odd metres, so he was just such a little bulldog. He was a great little horse. Oh, wasn't you he? You know, uh, Ray Brockett, you know, I was so appreciative that he put me on him. Just prior to uh, the Stradbroke, I got really sick. I, I, I got a um, – I ended up – I was in hospital on the Thursday, mm. uh, I should say Wednesday night, mm. um, and I come out of hospital. I had um, really bad – 
uh, uh, burning of the stomach, uh, ulcers of the stomach. Goodness and me. I ended up going into working on, on, on the Thursday morning and Ray looked at me and he said, just go home, get yourself off for the weekend. So mm. um, for him to have the confidence in me to actually lead me on the horse, because back then you could, acceptances were on the Thursday, they weren't on the Wednesday. Mm. So there was that opportunity. He could have bumped me off him. No, thinking that I wasn't going to be right, but he didn't. He mm. stuck with me. So, oh, lovely no. man, Ray Brock. He he was a mm. hobby trainer, Jim, in the true sense of the word, because Adam was the only horse he trained uh, at that time of his life. In fact, I don't think he ever had more than one horse at a time. Yeah, correct. And he trained him at the back of his yard, more or less. Sort yeah, of thing. yeah. So, yeah, he was a, he was a, he was a great guy. He was just such a such a gentleman, um, and even even when I when I was having a little bit more success after Adam, mm. Ray would always give me a, a, a call and just say congratulations, Jock, you're doing well. Yeah, you know, he was just such a beautiful man. Yeah, nice bloke, Ray Brock, absolutely. Well, after uh, the Stradbroke win, you didn't let him out of your sight. Next preparation, you rode him in four races in Sydney. You won a Group Two Theo Marks. You ran third in the George Main Group One, unplaced in the Epsom. And then in the autumn of 2000, you rode him in six races. You didn't win one, but you ran three seconds in the Expressway, the Apollo and the Chipping Norton Stakes. So he's one you will never forget. He's got pride of place in your scrapbook. Yeah, he was a tough little horse. Um, you know, I, I was just the worst part about it. We started um, at come towards just when we thought, oh, you know, he's, he'd, he hit his mark. Um, Ray actually was letting me stay with him and all, all the way through. And my manager and I discussed it and we kind of jumped the other way a couple of times mm. uh, thereafter. And, and Justin Sheen ended up jumping on him thereafter, I think. And, yes, he wrote um, him. You know, just, yeah, just a, a few mm. bad decisions on, on, on our part. Mm. Um, but, you know, he's just been such a – he was such a special horse at that period of my career, that's for sure. For those that have forgotten, uh, Adam was by Rubiton. And he was out of a mare called Eve. So it was the most predictable name for him. Yes. <laughs> he, he was such a good little horse. He really was. He really was. I, I actually think he went on and raced in Hong Kong as well, didn't he? He had a race in Hong Kong. Yes, as well. he did. He did. He ran in yeah. one of the big races over Christmas, New the Year. Big strength. No luck. Yep. Now, Jim, you had four race rides on a wonderful grey mare called Gold Edition trained by Ron Maund. Her record was 17 wins and 13 placings for $3.1 million. And your very first ride on Gold Edition was a Group 1 win in the Ascot Vale Stakes at Flemington. What a thrill on that historic track. Yeah, I, um, no, Ron, to give me that opportunity to ride her, you know, was left field. He had another rider that, that was doing all the, all the riding on her, and um, I think I was going to ride a horse for him in the in the in, in the Melbourne Cup. Um, I can't even think of the horse's name, but I, uh, I she came along with the other horse, and um, I sorry, the other horse's name. I was going to ride him in the Melbourne Cup, and mm. uh, the Glenn Lynch, I think, was riding Gold Edition and Ice Chariot. I think he won the Derby on him up mm. here, yeah, uh, and uh, he couldn't make the weight in the cup, and. She came along with Ice Chariot, um, so it was a huge thrill to pick her up because I had such a big opinion of her prior to that. 
but then I'd done a bit of track work on her, and I remember calling my manager, Trevor Lansky, and I said, this horse is unbelievable. This, this thing's got speed to burn and, and there's times it can run. Mm. They just don't, they don't do that. I mean, like they, these are, you don't, there's only a few horses that you jump on and they're true group one horses and that's what she was. She was a, just mm. sheer speed and um, prior to me jumping on her, she was jumping out and leading the races and, and, and just being t- dominant leading the races. Um, but, you know, we won the Ascot Bale on her and uh, a couple of times thereafter we were just trying to ride her a little bit different, uh, like taking sits on her and, and, and it just didn't work. And, you know, I made a mistake on her one day and they subsequently replaced me with Starfield on her. But, uh, mm. you know, it was just she was, a, she was a great little horse. She was a great little horse. You won a listed race on her too uh, after uh, the Ascot Vale Stakes. She won the Swept Stakes uh, again at Flemington. And you rode her one more time in Brisbane a month after the Melbourne Carnival and she won a three-year-old Phillies quality. Uh, she then got beaten by sequential charm in the Vaux plate and sadly you never rode her again, but you've got some great memories. Now, Jim, 2008, Peter Moody was on a roll and he had a good staying filly in Brisbane by the name of Reva San. But I'll tell you what we'll do, mate. We'll just hold that over for segment two of our podcast, and we'll talk about Reva San and other good horses that you've ridden over the years in recent years, including the one that finally gave you victory in a Doombin 10,000. Segment two with Jim Byrne coming up shortly. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. 